accept our, our worship and our praise that we just had, that you would find it a sweet aroma. But Lord, that you would also bless his service. He would pass the mark as he leads and guides us and directs us. Don't just put the Holy Spirit in him and engulf him. Swallow him up. But Father, give us a heart. A heart to receive. A heart to understand. A heart to believe. But also a heart to follow. Father, help us take this word that we're going to receive this morning further than the seek that we can. Further than the building that we need. For Father, if we do not take it with us, then will we have gained nothing? So Holy Spirit, be kind but direct. Be loving but truthful. Lead us and guide us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Really good today, guys. Better. Mark, I just broke in. Terrific. Let's have some coffee. Whoa. Oh, we have a cup? I thought you loved coffee. Hmm. I would love the rich taste of the caffeine I can do without. Me too. That's why we're drinking Brent's decaffeinated coffee. This is Brent? This is Brent. And it's decaffeinated. So you don't have to stop at half a cup. Hmm. If you taste this rich, I don't want to stop. Fill it to the rim with Brim. Do your cup to the rim with the richness of Brim. Somebody who doesn't yet know Christ. 
Now, right on the other side of the cross, we've got that second chair, the little kind of high chair on it, and that's a new believer. And that doesn't necessarily mean a spiritual infant. That can be a, a spiritual toddler, a spiritual child, a spiritual teenager, somebody who is growing in their faith, and they're becoming more and more capable, yet they're not quite able to do it all on themselves yet. They can't quite identify all of the all of the possible pitfalls, and they can't quite take complete responsibility for feeding themselves yet. And we're not talking about an age necessarily, but we're talking about a Christian maturity level. Chair three is we've we've gone from seeker to believer. Now, chair three, that's the disciple. That is somebody who is feeding themselves. They're being disciples. They are finding people who are in the faith to walk alongside them, to ask them questions. They're seeking out Bible studies. They're seeking out resources. They're, they're enthusiastically coming to church, not just to get their wife to be quiet or not just because their dad is making them, but they are coming to church because they want to know and they want to grow. And they want to figure out, how can I do this even better? Chair four, where we're going to kind of drop anchor a little bit this morning, that's a disciple maker. Somebody who is not just trying to learn, although we're never done learning and growing, but somebody who is, is learned to the point where they understand that part of this Christian walk, part of their responsibility is to feed others. They understand this command of go into all the world, and they know that it's for all believers. They understand this idea of go and bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit that you are supposed to exhibit, that that's for everybody. And we've got this idea sometimes in, in the Western church culture that discipleship, that disciple making, that that's some sort of, of like elite group of Christians, like the special forces in the military. That is like, we got all these regular Christians, and then those among us who, who really feel great can volunteer to become a disciple maker. And, and I'm here to let you know this morning, that's not true. If you know Jesus, you are supposed to be a disciple maker. That's not above and beyond extra. That's not some other preacher will handle that. Uh, the guy leading Bible study, he'll do that. Well, the Sunday school teachers, they'll, they'll handle that. No, if you know Jesus, you are supposed to be moving towards being a disciple maker. Now that looks different for everybody. Not everybody is called to preach. Not everybody is called to teach. Not everybody is going to lead a Bible study. But you can lead in the room while somebody's teaching and preaching. You can lead while somebody else is leading the Bible study. You can bring your neighbor to Bible study and then they're sitting next to you as a, as a non-believer or as a new believer and you can be asking questions that are leading and discipling the people next to you when they realize, hey, I've got that question too. And she's been going to church for 15 years and she's got the same question I've got. You're, you're creating a comfort level. You can disciple in so many different ways. Sometimes discipleship looks like sitting at IHOP with a cup of coffee and you're talking about life. You're talking about the spiritual stuff. You're just also talking about life. How do you figure out how to balance your budget and pay your bills? That's a very godly thing, but that's also one of those practical things that we all need to do because it needs to be done. Raising your children can be discipleship. In fact, if you are a parent in the room, let me tell you, your greatest opportunity for discipleship or disciple making 
is within your family, is within your children. Dads, if you want your sons to grow up and, and be disciples, the greatest thing that can happen is for them to catch you, not once, but to catch you on a regular basis sitting at the breakfast table reading your Bible. Let them catch you, moms, praying for the neighbors, praying for them, praying for their dad. That is the greatest discipleship you can have. You can disciple within your marriage, not just by praying, not just by being patient, but by pouring spiritually into the life of this person that you have chosen to do life with. Another opportunity for discipleship, a lot of people in this room have done this and, and you've moved past that stage in your life. I'm moving into that stage where you kind of parent your own parents a little bit. My parents are still pretty capable, but my parents recently sold their house and they, they downsized and they moved into a smaller place with, with less mowing responsibility and snow shoveling responsibility. And my dad kind of leaned a little bit on my brother and I to help him through that process. And, and I can see as they age, he's going to lean a little more heavily, parenting my parents. Many of you have been in that situation. Some of you aren't yet, but it's coming. As you raise your children, I know it seems like it's a long way away, but someday those little kids are going to be kind of parenting you through life a little bit. So be careful what kind of disciples you turn them into. You know, sometimes discipling happens in the church kitchen when you just take an opportunity to serve and you turn all the, all the conversations that you have and you turn this idea of washing pots and pans and setting up the table and scooping up the food and, and packing up the leftovers, you turn that into an opportunity to serve Jesus because you turn all the conversations around it into how great God is. So discipling takes on a lot of different forms. It's not just somebody who's gifted to preach or somebody who's gifted to lead. So I don't want you to get kind of caught up thinking, well, I can't do that because I don't have those gifts or I don't have that ability God's given you some sort of an ability. And, and maybe we need to be creative to help you find it. And you need to be creative to dig in and see what it is. But you can disciple from wherever you are because it looks different for everybody. So we are going to look at chair four this morning, that go into all the world, that go and bear fruit. And what is that supposed to look like? Now in Galatians, Ben has these verses. And I hope he has them in the correct order because it's entirely possible I gave them to him not in the correct order. So if it's right, that's because Ben is awesome. And if it's wrong, that's because Ben is awesome and the guy working with him this morning is not. So, But Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and right at the beginning of verse 23, talks about what does that spiritual fruit look like. And we've talked about that here in the church. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that we are supposed to be exhibiting as mature believers, as maturing believers, as believers that are growing in their faith and walking in their faith. And those are the things that we are supposed to have, all of us are supposed to be showing all of those all the time. That is not some sort of, of choose your own adventure kind of a deal. 
multiple choice where we look at that list and then we, we divvy it up. And well, Eric, you're gonna do a little bit of patience on Monday, and I guess I'll take gentleness on Wednesday. Sam, he'll do a little bit of joy on Thursday. No, all of us, all the time, all of those, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's hard. I mean, we could stop right there, and that's a sermon's worth of a challenge, right? To do those things. But it's not enough to just have those things. We have to be careful of the stuff we're not supposed to have. We back up a little bit. Galatians 5, verses, I think it's 19, 20, and 21. I can read my own writing here. Yep, that's what Ben's got, so I must be right. The, the list of things that, that Paul writes to the Galatians that they are not supposed to be having in their life. This is right before he lists the fruit of the Spirit, the thing they're supposed to have. All of those things that tempt us, that catch us up. And we don't all get caught on all of these. But everybody in here gets caught on at least one of these once in a while. These are the things that we fill ourselves up or we let the world fill us up with. Those things that we put into our life that are not healthy, that take away from our spiritual walk. These are things that Christians struggle with. I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking about the world in here this morning as we look around at each other. These are the things that can derail us. These things that we can sort of put in our life that make a mess for us. This sexual sin. And, and boy, in the culture we live in, isn't that everywhere? We have a lot of opportunities to destroy our life with this. Besides that, being morally bad. Well, that seems to cover a lot of area, doesn't it? Anybody here ever been kind of morally bad just for a minute? Just for a few seconds? That's probably most of us, right? Anybody here been morally bad this morning? Morally bad during worship? Doing some shameful things. Anybody in here ever did anything you were ashamed of? I'm not talking about something that was embarrassing. I'm talking about something that shamed you because you knew it was sinful. And, and yet, we sometimes we chase those things. We do them on purpose, don't we? So we're filling our lives up with some of that mess. What about worshiping false gods? I'm not talking about taking an idol and putting it up on the mantle and, and praying to the idol or the statue or whatever you bought at the garage sale. I'm not talking about that. But the false gods that we pick to worship aren't usually quite that blatant, but they're just as bad. How about the God of work? Because we're putting all of our faith in our career, our job, this new job I have. This is the thing that's going to fix my life. <coughs> Sorry. This is the thing that's going to fix my life. It's going to change my life. It's going to fix my family. It's going to change my family. This is this, this God that I'm worshiping, my career, my job. This is what, what it's going to be. And maybe not just that, but I have seen some families who, who take, I've got something to drink up here, Jackie. I know exactly what she's doing. She I always goes and makes me something to drink. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I appreciate it. As soon as I started walking, I, 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 I brought some Gatorade with me. Thank you, though. I absolutely love it. Serving, disciple. How about the God of, of, of your children? I think you're supposed to take care of your children. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But I have seen so many families that make entertaining their children into their God. I'm going to indulge my child's every whim because I want them to be happy and I want them to love life. 
And that is the thing that's going to fix our family. We can just keep our kids entertained and keep our kids happy and, and give them the best Christmas anybody's ever had. That is the thing that we're worshiping in my house because that's the thing that's going to fix our family. That's not. That's a false god. There's nothing wrong with having a nice Christmas. How about your own fun and your own recreation? I'm going to tell you, as a, as a pastor, it just grates on me when somebody says, well, I, I can't come to church because we've got to go to Disney. Look, I'm not against vacation. Shannon and I were took a little vacation a couple weeks ago, and I wasn't in church. I'm not against vacation. I'm not telling you it's wrong to go on vacation, to go out of town, to enjoy time with your family. But we can't do church. We've got to go to Disney. Well, show me the scripture that says you've got to go to Disney this weekend. We can't come to, to Bible study because we got we, we there's this new TV show on Netflix that we're busy benching. We need to go. We need to have a boat. We need to go fishing. We need a big screen television. We need Netflix and Hulu and, and, and Amazon and all these other things because we need all these movies. We need the sports package in my house because we need to do football this fall. And this recreation becomes the thing that, that, that you are going to worship. Because if your team or this movie or this TV show or your golf game or your boat that is the thing that's going to fix your life and it's going to bring you comfort and is going to guide your family. And it's not. You're worshiping something that can't possibly do the things you're depending on it to do. Relationships. Oh, I've seen this over and over again with young people in their 20s. This relationship is, is, is what I've been waiting on. It's going to fix my life. This new relationship, this new guy, is what is going to fix my life. This new guy, I am going to worship this so much, I'm going to compromise who I am and, and what I know I should be doing because I'm just going to give everything to this relationship so that it can, you're, you're worshiping a false God because that relationship can't possibly do for you what God can do for you. So we, we, we worship a lot of false gods. But taking part in witchcraft. That's pretty easy to avoid. I don't think I know anybody that really like dabbles in witchcraft. But I know an awful lot of people that love to watch TV shows that, that, that glorify some of this spooky, ghost, supernatural garbage. And if you're going to bring it in your house and put it on the TV in front of you, parents, let me tell you another little area of discipleship you've got. The stuff that you watch on TV, you are endorsing to your children that it's okay for them to watch. You are endorsing for your children that that's a lifestyle that's okay. Well, Mark, I, I know that's just entertainment. That's not going to derail my life. Sure. Does your 14-year-old understand that? How about your 8-year-old? We glorify some of this garbage and we consume it as entertainment. And aren't we taking part in it? Hating people. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't hate anybody. Unless they vote different than me. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm on Facebook talking about those people that vote different than me. I might hate a little bit then. I might hate a lot then. About causing trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish. Let me tell you, if you're in this room and you're going to tell me that you haven't struggled with jealousy, anger, and selfishness in the past 30 days, I'm going to call you a liar. Because every one of us in this room has struggled with at least one of those in the past 30 days. 
Some of us have been hit with all three of those already this morning. Causing people to argue and divide into separate groups. Boy, we just love our, our, our little cliques, don't we? We love our political party, or we love our hobby, or we love our sports team. And there's nothing wrong with voting. There's nothing wrong with having a hobby. And there's nothing wrong with supporting a, a sports team. But when that becomes divisive in your life, and sports sometimes can, it often can. Politics, absolutely, it starts there and gets worse. It starts at divisiveness and grows, causing people to argue and divide into separate groups, being filled with envy, getting drunk. The word that Paul used for drunk was what originally it meant altered, altering yourself with something. So he wasn't just talking about long drinking and falling down drunk and that's wrong. He's talking about getting drunk. He's talking about getting a buzz. He's talking about getting tipsy. He's talking about getting high. And he doesn't care if you're getting high by snorting it or smoking it or taking pills that the doctor prescribed legally for you. Or maybe you're just using tobacco. Or maybe you're just using caffeine. Am I stepping on your toes yet? Because mine are bruised working on this sermon. I've been on my own toes all week, especially when it comes to caffeine. But don't be altering yourself. And don't be having wild parties. Don't be encouraging others to sin. Don't be looking the other way when other people sin. And don't be acting like what, what, what you're over there doing. And I wouldn't do it, but, but it's okay for you to do it. You just go your way and do your thing. No, we're not supposed to be encouraging and allowing other people to sin. So, okay, well, Mark, you gave us a good list of stuff we should be doing to get in chair for, stuff we shouldn't be doing to get in chair for, but how do we do that? Well, let's take a look. Let's go into 1 Peter. And we're going to kind of skip through 1 Peter. We're going to hit several verses through there, and then we're going to land right at the beginning of 2 Peter. Peter is my absolute favorite character. Because we're skipping around, don't think that I just think there's a little bit of goodness here. We're going to grab the good parts. This whole thing is good. You want to be serious about being a believer? Spend some time with 1 Peter and spend some time with 2 Peter. Everything in here is good. I'm just grabbing a handful of it. But in 1 Peter, these books, of course, were written by Peter. Peter in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus said, Peter, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Now, when he said that to him, Peter was not a rock. Peter was the guy that got out of the boat to walk on the water and started to sink because his, his faith faltered. Peter was the guy that quite literally, as Jesus explained what was about to happen in the garden, the guards showed up and Peter decided, well, okay, you've got a plan, Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing, pulled out his sword. I'm going to fight the guards. Peter was the guy that not much later after that denied even knowing Jesus. I don't know him. I never met him. I've never even seen that guy before. Three different times he denied, within earshot of Jesus, he denied Jesus. Peter was not a rock when Jesus said, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. But he knew that if Peter paid attention and allowed some good stuff to be poured into his life, and if Peter matured to the point where he began to, to put some own stuff into his life, he knew that Peter could very well become that rock of the early church shortly after the crucifixion when Peter preached a sermon 
where some of those very people that he had denied knowing Jesus in front of were right there. He preached a sermon and 3,000 people got saved. That sounds like the birth of a church. It sounds like the rock of a church to me. That's who Peter was. That's who Peter became. Peter is this great example of moving from early believer to somebody getting fed to somebody who goes out and feeds. So Peter is writing to a bunch of steadfast believers. The letter of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, these aren't letters sent to scold. They're not letters sent to correct. These are letters that are written to a bunch of disciple-making Christians that are doing it the right way and have a handle on it. So he gets into this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he starts writing this by calling them foreigners. Wasn't writing to immigrants. He wasn't writing to people who had moved from place to place, town to town, state to state. He was writing to people who were living where they had been born and raised. But he is addressing them as steadfast believers, born, raised, born again, and you know Jesus, that makes you a foreigner. Because what is something that defines somebody who's a foreigner? They have different customs than everybody they're living amongst, don't they? Don't they sometimes speak a different language? Where they speak the language everybody else is speaking, but they, they put their own twist on it, and they speak it a different way, somebody with a different language and different customs. And he's calling them out. He says, hey, you guys are foreigners. Because the people you are living amongst, you have different customs and different languages. And I think we can see that difference from, from immature believers to mature believers. I had a conversation just about a month ago with a, with a couple of, of believers, a handful of believers, and we were sitting around and, and we were kind of talking about what was going on in the world and what should be our response to it. And one of these mature believers got, got onto the topic of, of politics and began to talk about a politician. I hate him. I hate him. I wish he'd never been elected. I wish he'd never run. I hate that guy. And he just got so passionate. Now, he had serious as a Christian, political disagreement with some of the things that this politician stood for. But he talked about hate. And another one of those believers talked about that same politician and said, you know, I, I disagree with that guy on probably about 95% of everything. Maybe more. But I pray for him every day. I pray for his wife every day. I pray for his family every day. I pray every day for the people he's going to speak to. I pray every day for the people that are going to speak to him. I pray for the burden he carries as a leader. Isn't that a different kind of a language than what the world out there has? That's what Peter is saying. You're, you're different. You are a foreigner. You've got different customs and different language. In verse 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more Grace and peace. These are believers that are doing it the right way. And Peter is saying, I'm praying that you get more and more grace and more and more peace. Because he knew that living in a culture that was not largely Christian, they're going to need a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of peace. Every one of you in here needs grace and peace. 
pastor, and I pray that for you guys. Okay? Grace and peace. Hope you guys are praying that for your pastors because they need it too. Verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. He is reminding them right here in verse 3. You're not just religious. You don't just go to church once in a while. You don't just hit a Bible study occasionally. You're not just like you believe in God a little bit, I guess. You are born again. A major life event has happened to you. You have given your life to Christ. You've had this transformation, and you're supposed to be living like it. Think of, of, of the weight that carries. How often do you think about your conversion experience? I'm going to be honest. I don't think about mine often enough. I need to be reminding myself daily. There was a day I got down on my knees and gave my life to Christ, and that completely transformed me. I need to be reminded of that every day. Verse 4, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. He is reminding them that the reward is going to be in heaven. Look, if you're a mature believer, if you want to be a mature believer, latch on to this idea. Your reward is going to be in heaven. When you move from chair 2 to chair 3, you're not necessarily going to get a reward. When you move from chair 3 to chair 4, you're not going to get a reward. When you spend six years in chair 4 making disciples, you don't necessarily get a reward. Your Christian reward is going to happen while the rest of us are gathered around at your funeral. You're going to be enjoying your reward. Your reward is not down here on earth. And that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Because don't we all have a list of things we're looking forward to? Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, things we want, things we would like. Our reward's not down here. And that's kind of a, a godly way of thinking, a supernatural way of thinking that kind of goes against our instinct. And we have to sometimes force ourselves to think that way. <coughs> our reward is not here. Skip ahead to verse 6. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. He's not saying, hey, listen up, steadfast Christians, you disciple makers. You might endure a few trials. You must endure many trials. Every one of you sitting here has got hard stuff coming. Most of you sitting here have already been through some hard stuff. Now, the hard stuff coming may not be really, really hard. It may just be minor inconvenience. But it's coming. Some of you have pain coming in your future that, that, that none of us could possibly fathom and imagine right now. In living with that knowledge that life is not going to be perfect for me, that's a mark of a mature believer understanding that we don't get to just go through life smiling and whistling because we know Jesus and everything's great. We know Jesus and everything's going to be great when we're with him. But in the meantime, there's going to be some trials. 
some of them have heard. Verse 15, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. The definition, the word he used for holy when he wrote this letter, the definition of that applied to, and in context, everybody reading this understood this, in, in the temple area, in a religious area, things that were used just for religion. A, a temple seat where only the person teaching was going to sit. You couldn't touch that seat unless you were up front you were going to teach. Or special clothes that you only wore for religious festivals. Or a special cup that you only drank out of as part of a religious ceremony in a religious context during a religious festival. That is what this word holy meant. Holy means that it's only religious and only used for religious things. It's only godly and only used for godly things. And he is saying in verse 15, but now you must be godly and only used for godly things in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is godly and only does godly things. It's a pretty heavy challenge, isn't it? How many of you got plans today that aren't 100% godly? Leave me hanging. We don't want my hand. Okay. But this is hard stuff, right? This discipleship isn't easy. Pastor, I'm not feeling very encouraged right now. I'm feeling a little bit pressed. Yes, discipleship is going to, to press us. Verse 22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. I don't need to explain that to you, but I'm telling you, Pastor and I, we pray for you in that area. We pray for each other in that area, and I hope you are praying for everybody in this room in that area. Because loving people is hard. Because you know what? Y'all are fairly unlovable sometimes. So am I. My wife lets me know that on a regular basis. It's hard to love people deeply all the time. And that's what we're being told to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So get rid of all evil behavior. This one's not encouraging either. So be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Get all of that sarcasm and, and snarky responses. Get rid of that. I don't even know how to talk some days if I can't be sarcastic. Get rid of jealousy. Get rid of jealousy. Jealousy is one of the things that drives our economy. Oh, I gotta go get that thing Eric's got. That looks pretty good. Where'd you get that? Walmart? Target? I gotta go get one of those. That's one of the things that drives our economy, doesn't it? We need to get rid of that wanting what other people have. Hypocrisy. Telling people to do one thing while I do something different. Boy, do I pray for God to check my heart on this all the time. And he does. I got a lot of bruises. Again, let me just... Let me just single out the parents here. I'm not trying to beat parents up this morning. But I am kind of beating parents up. But you want to destroy your relationship with your children? You want to not have a great relationship with the someday grandchildren you are going to have? Spend a lot of time telling your kids to do something that you won't do. Tell them how to live in a way that you won't live. Because that will rot your relationship from the inside out. That will corrode it and destroy it. It's not going to be your marriage any favors either. Deceit. He doesn't say be done with lying. Lying is covered in deceit. Be done with deceit. That means don't, don't be lying. Don't be dishonest. 
with deceit, pretending. <coughs> As Christians, how do we pretend? Two ways. I want a little bit of sympathy and I need some people to love me, so I am going to take something that happened to me and I'm going to pretend it was worse than it really was just, just, just so people love me. And, and we've learned, don't we, that if we come in here on Sunday morning and we take something bad that happened, and if we put a little bit of extra mustard on it, people will kind of press in and, and hug us and love us. We pretend things are worse than they really are. And then, of course, we do the exact opposite of that. We use that, that four-letter word that starts with F. Some of you need Jesus. I can tell just by the look on your face. Not that word. The word fine. Because we pretend things are better than they are. Just last week in this room, I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody came in here, hey, good morning, how are you doing? And they looked right at me with tears running down each cheek. And they said, everything's fine. Deception. Dishonesty. Everything's not fine. You're hurting. We need to stop doing that. We need to kick that out of our life because if we want to be close to Jesus and be a disciple maker, we've got to be honest. It means we have to own some of the pain in our life. That means we have to own it in honest ways. Let's not milk it for sympathy. Let's not hide from it either. None of you have a perfect life. All of you have some pain. Stop pretending that everything is great. Verse 13 of the second, the second chapter of 1 Peter. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. That was just a little bit of uh, beginning of verse 14 as well. Respect all human authority over you. Respect your boss. Respect your elected leaders. Respect the people, the assistant managers, the boss puts in charge. Re respect the mayor, respect the governor, respect the senators, respect the president. Respect the people that they appoint to be in charge. Now, does that mean you're always going to automatically agree with all of them? No. Does that mean you're always going to like every decision they make? I've worked really hard at being respectful of every boss I've ever had. And every boss I've ever had made me work weekends. In evenings. I've had jobs ready to work on my birthday. We still respect the boss. They don't like every decision he makes. We still respect those in authority. Doesn't mean we have to agree. But can we agree? Or can we disagree? I mean, can we disagree with somebody up top in authority while staying respectful of their authority? Can we disagree and be respectful? Peter says we have to. So we better figure out how. And, and don't tell me, don't wait till after the sermon and come back and say, well, let me tell you something about that, because Peter didn't know what our president was like. Peter didn't know what politics was going to be like in the United States in 2021. Peter never had to work for my boss. So let me tell you, Peter would have changed this thing about respect and authority. Let me tell you, when Peter wrote this, Nero was in charge. You know anything about Nero? Not a good boss. Not a great guy in charge. Nero loathed Christians. Would hurt 
and kill and torture them for entertainment. Nero, legend has it, would bring a family in front of him and tell a, a small male child, here is a spear, kill your younger sister or I'm going to kill your parents in front of you. What kind of a choice is that for a small child to have to make? And then no matter what choice the small child made, it was going to always be disaster. Because if the small child killed his sister, then Nero would have the parents killed and put the child in the dungeon so the child could live with the memory of watching his parents killed and live with the knowledge that he killed his sister. If the child refused to do it, then he would kill the children in front of the parents and put the parents in the dungeon so they could live with the, the visual memory of their children having been killed. He would put people into boiling oil an inch at a time just to see how they would react. He would tell mothers of newborns, jump in the boiling oil or I'm going to throw your baby in. And then when the mothers would jump in, because mothers would always do that to protect their babies, once the mothers had jumped in, then he'd throw the baby in with them. Peter said, respect authority. So don't tell me that Peter didn't understand that sometimes authority is hard to respect. You want to be a mature believer, you want to be a disciple maker, respect has got to be a part of your life. Not just when, but especially when you disagree with the people up top. Doesn't mean you've got to cheerlead for their choices, but you can still respect them while disagreeing with their choices. Verse 18, right along these lines, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Peter was not a pro-slavery guy. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. He is not writing this to endorse slavery. A theme of this letter that Peter is writing is about this yet. Life is unfair. And he is saying, look, if life is so unfair that it has made you a slave, whether you've got a cruel master or a nice master, respect them. Because a mature Christian realizes their reward is not here on earth. A mature Christian realizes we can't control our circumstances. But we can, we can control how we respond to those circumstances. If you want to be a disciple maker, when circumstances are hard, if you reveal that you love Jesus most of all, then you are revealing to the people around you that your relationship with Jesus is real. When your life gets hard, if you reveal that your relationship with Jesus isn't really that firm, then you're telling the people around you that their relationship with Jesus doesn't need to be that firm. I had somebody accuse me once of, of not caring enough about politics about a year ago. And, and, and he's right, I probably don't care about politics the way that I should. But he said to me, he says, you know, if socialism comes here to America, you just don't care. And I really disagree with him because you know what? I don't want that to happen. I love my stuff. I love my couch. Most of y'all have never seen me on my couch, but trust me, I don't hate my time there. I like my TV. I love my refrigerator. I like my house and my air conditioner. I like my stuff. 
I don't want socialism to come. I don't want Christianity to be outlawed for us all to be gathered up and put into concentration camps. But let me tell you something. If that happens, I know how God has called me to act in that concentration camp. And I'm telling you, if we end up in concentration camp together, we're going to be having church in there. And I'm not taking any of these excuses. Well, I couldn't make it out on Wednesday night. I was really busy. Hey, you're in a concentration camp. You got nothing to do. You're coming to Wednesday night study. Or we just bring Wednesday night study over to you. We're in concentration camp. We're going to be having, we're going to be having communion with whatever stale bread and water they give us. If they don't give us bread, we're having communion with water and water. And if they don't give us water, we'd be standing out in the rain, making a cup with our hands to gather up some water so we can have communion because that's how God has called us to act as believers. We can't control the circumstances. That doesn't mean that we want to end up in that concentration camp because none of us do. We like our air conditioning and our couches and our freedoms. We like that stuff. We enjoy that stuff. But if the circumstances change beyond our control, the way we act towards God cannot change. Not if we're serious about our faith. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Trials are like fire. They always reveal what's inside. We set this table on fire. And at some point, we can get to see what's inside the table. We set the chair on fire. We'll see the inside of the chair. Trials set you on fire, and we all get to see what's really inside of you. Don't be surprised at the trials, because they are coming, and they are going to reveal who you really are. This is not an encouraging message, is it? But this is telling us how, how we need to be. Verse 16, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Doesn't that take a supernatural amount of faith to be glad that you're being persecuted for being a Christian? Just as a, as a side note, don't come up to me in December and tell me if you were at Walmart, the clerk said happy holidays and said Merry Christmas. So now you're feeling persecuted. Because we're going to revisit this conversation about Nero. We're going to talk about Christian persecution and what it really looks like. But when that persecution happens, when real persecution happens, we are supposed to find the good in it because it is likening us to Christ. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? This was just a quick cliff note version of what First Peter says to steadfast Christians about their faith. Okay, now we know how we're supposed to be when we're in chair four. But how do we get there? How do we get there and how are we equipped to get there? So, really quick, this is what this all hinges on. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look really quick at the first three verses. Verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The same thing he said at the last letter. More and more grace and peace. If you've got a handle on this Christian thing, you're not done needing grace and peace. 
Which means, when you're not sure what to pray about this week, pray for some grace and peace for the rest of us in this room, because we need it just as bad as you do. This is what today's message hinges on. Verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need. He hasn't given us everything we want. He hasn't given us all the tools that would make this Christian thing easy and fun. Not even giving us all the stuff that's always going to make it and keep it comfortable. But he has given us everything we need when we came to know Christ. When you came to know Christ, when you surrendered your life and became a born-again believer, when you accepted that Jesus died for your sins, and that by accepting his death on the cross, you were guaranteed a place in heaven, when you accepted that, a relationship began between you and the Father, informed by the Holy Spirit, kind of a kind of a, a pipeline. You were now getting bars on that cell phone, so to speak. You had connectivity with the Father. And you could you could pray and you could talk to him and you were connected. You were given everything you needed to get better at this Christian thing and move from chair two to chair three and from chair three to chair four. Nobody moves along without the help of other believers. <clears throat> you ever feel kind of like you're stuck in the middle? Like you're stuck between this is where I'm supposed to be and this is where I am. And you're telling me that, that in verse 3 that I got everything I needed, but I'm, I'm not really sure what, what, what did I need? What did I get that I needed? Mark, I'm still not sure how to move and how to do all of this. Well, let me tell you. It's some stuff we've been talking about at Fresh Start Fellowship for a while. Reading God's Word. What are we reading as a church right now? Luke. Who was reading in Luke this week? What did you get out of Luke this week? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Hopefully. Anybody get anything out of Luke this week? Anybody? Is this on? You can't, you can't recall? Why don't you guys ever do this to Pastor Steve? When he's up here talking about well, you guys got such great, deep spiritual questions and insights for him. And I'm up here, you leave me feeling like I'm speaking in a foreign language. I forgive you. But reading God's Word, that is one of the ways that we get connected to Him and stay connected. That's one of the ways that we grow. He gave you everything you need when you've got God's Word and access to God's Word. 2021, you get access to God's Word in so many different ways and so many different uh, versions and, and commentaries. You don't really have a good excuse for not studying God's Word. You don't have internet and you don't have a Bible. You come see me and I'll give you a Bible. I'll make arrangements to get you up here at the church where you can use the internet and I'll hand you my phone. So you can be on the internet on my phone looking at the Bible. But reading and studying, and I don't mean studying like you're studying for a test in school necessarily, where you've got to write a, a book report on it. 
and give some sort of oral presentation to the class, but you're not reading it just like the list of ingredients on something. You're reading it to see how is it going to touch you? How is it going to inform your life? What did I read today and how can that speak to me today? How does that speak to the life I lived yesterday? How and what I'm about to read, how can that change me for tomorrow? Spend time with God in prayer. Well, we drive prayer a lot here. We have corporate prayer on Wednesday mornings for people who can make it. Uh, we have moved for the month of July our children's ministry to Wednesday mornings, and we had prayer with the children on, on Wednesday morning. And I was going to have half the children pray in the morning and then the other half pray at the end of the time, but I didn't communicate that to the parents. So the parents, because they loved it so much, they just pressed, let's have all the kids pray right at the beginning. And I'm going to tell you, I wish you had been here because it would have blessed your heart as it blessed mine. None of these kids prayed with great depth. None of them prayed with great worldly insight. But they all prayed from where they are in their walk right now. And boy, it would have blessed your heart. You missed something on Wednesday morning that would just might have been one of the spiritual highlights of your week. Listen to these little children pray for their parents and for each other and for their friends. We even had one who prayed for what we think might have been an imaginary friend. And you know what? It was it was pretty sweet, and, and I, I've got to believe that, that God enjoyed that even as he just knew that it wasn't really meaning anything or doing anything. But the kids are taking prayer uh, seriously. Shouldn't we be taking it seriously as well? Spend time with God in prayer and be disciples. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this doesn't mean, we got to understand what this means in context. This doesn't mean that if I get together in a small group with, with James and Jenny, that I can confess what I'm struggling with and get healed of the flu, or cancer, or diabetes. But what this means is if we press together in a small group, I can confess what I'm struggling with, and it'll kind of drag that struggle out into the open, and it will help me be cured of it. It will help me be healed of it. It's not going to automatically heal, but it's going to help me heal it. Let me give you an example of that. Shannon and I do discipleship with Allison and Eric. And, and Shannon and I, we just absolutely love getting to know them as a family, spending time with them. It is one of the, the highlights of, of our week when we spend time with Allison and Eric in discipleship. And several weeks ago, uh, I said to Eric, I said, let's, let's press this a little further. You and I are going to start meeting and holding each other accountable. I'm going I'm to speak some truth into your life and try to hold you accountable. And I need you to speak some truth into my life and hold me accountable. And I confess to Eric, one of the things that I struggle with is healthy eating choices. I know that surprises you all because I look so fit and thin. <laughs> I appreciate the laughter. Most of it didn't hurt my feelings. But I confess to Eric, I, I, I struggle in that area. I need some accountability. I need somebody to, to speak some truth into my life in that. And then we've, we've, we've tried to get together a couple times, but I had this cold and I didn't want to pass it back to him, even though I picked it up out of his house. Um, and, and he has a hard time getting together because he works in the field of air conditioning. I don't know if you knew that or not, but air conditioning in Florida in July, they keep them pretty busy. It's kind of an important deal. 
But but as we we tried to get together, I went to Paige's his daughter's birthday party yesterday, and Shannon and I got there late. We didn't mean it, but we timed it just perfect because right as we came in the door, they were singing happy birthday and they were about to cut into the cupcakes. It was perfect timing. And we came in the door and we sang and then we walked in and Eric came across the room to me and he says, you gonna have a cupcake? And I started to give him this answer that I give a lot of people, well, oh, I might want a cupcake, but I don't really need it. And I looked at Eric and he was looking at me kind of with a smile on his face. He was remembering back to our conversation about accountability. Now, Eric didn't wait till I picked up a cupcake and then slap it out of my hand. He didn't tackle me as I went over by the dessert table. He didn't call me fatso in front of the whole room. But just with a gentle smile, Eric is letting me know, hey, you asked for accountability about your eating habits. Are you going to have a cupcake? Because it's one of your eating habits. Get down here. That didn't heal me of my love of junk food. But that is helping me get a handle on that in a way that I can't do by myself. If you want to be a mature believer, you've got to do the stuff a mature believer does. And that means you need to be in relationship with other mature believers. Not just on Sunday morning, but you need to be in an environment where they can ask you questions and you can ask them questions. And you can learn and grow and you can hold each other accountable together. We talk about Bible memorization is another way that we draw close to God. Who's got the Bible verse memorized for July? Does anybody, anybody know what it's supposed to be? You don't have to memorize, but you know what it is. It's supposed to promote peace and encourage each other to grow in faith. Promote peace. Let's try as hard as we can to do what will bring peace. Let's do whatever will help each other grow stronger in faith. Yes, I read that. Memorization is not my strongest thing. I have to use your prayer in that. But that is. Anybody know where that is in the Bible? Romans. Romans. Okay, I read a couple of Romans. 14, verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19 of Romans. That's our memory verse for July that we are working on. That's another thing that we pour into our life. We feed ourselves with that draws us closer to God. He's given us everything we need to do this. And using the things that he's given us? Or are we just kind of hoping that we grow without putting any effort and any work into this? Because as we just sit, the world keeps adding all of these sinful ideas and sinful opportunities. And, and, and things that we grab that we don't need. And some of that stuff the world just kind of hands us. We're not even actively looking for it. But the world is just handing us bad things and negativity and some of that pain that we don't have any control over. And we get filled up with garbage that we don't need. Well, how do we get rid of that? Or in the Holy Spirit. You looked at my notes, didn't you? You're leading worship. You're, you're, you're looking at my notes. Yes, we need to pour in God. We need to use the stuff that He's given us. Let's take a look at this. Let's see if I can do this without making a huge mess. Or even a little mess. We'll see. Let's see, we're supposed to pour in the things of God into our life. And when we start pouring into that, we're not really making a change yet, are we? 
Maybe things are shifting a little bit. Maybe you can see. Maybe not even. We've got something, but nothing's really, really shifted. All that stuff is still there. So we need to, we need to keep pouring in. Because you don't memorize one scripture and you're done. You don't go to Bible study one time. Oh, I went to Bible study. That was pretty good. I'm all set. Well, I did, I did my daily reading on Monday. So that ought to cover me for the rest of the week. No, we need to keep doing that. Because as we do that and we keep pouring in, We start to lose some of that sin, some of that junk, and some of that garbage. And of course, we never get it all completely gone because as you go through life, it's going to keep coming up again and again. And you're going to get some more of it dropped on there. But it's just going to stay on the surface. If you are so filled up to the rim with God, then this garbage stays on the surface and it's real easy for you to move with a minimal effort. And it's easy for the people that are holding you accountable to take a look at it and say, uh, you, you going to get a cupcake, Mark? Because I know what you're struggling with and I don't want you to struggle with it. And then even when life comes at you with a lot of pain and pushes something into your life, it doesn't really stay deep down. This is a very simple, simplistic way to look at this. But what are you filling yourself up with? Because what you fill yourself up with, or what you choose not to fill yourself up, yourself up with, is going to determine whether you are making disciples, or whether you are just going through the motions. Lord, let us pour you into our lives today, tomorrow, every day, only you, so that your strength can empower us to drive out the things that we struggle with, the things the world gives us, the, the sin that we pick up, the pain that we've been carrying around for years. Lord, let us fill ourselves up with you. Let us take the things that we are burdened with and have no control over. Let, let us just give them over to you. Because you are enough. <coughs> Lord, let us leave here believing that you are enough. Let us leave here with a burden that we need to memorize scripture, that we need to read your word, that we need to spend time in prayer with you that we need to connect to each other beyond a, a superficial way so that we can speak truth in each other's lives and have truth spoken in our lives. Lord, we have to seek you for that to be so. Lord, give us the courage to do that. We just pray this in your son's name. Amen.